28th of August, 2020. Friday, Friday. It sneaks up on us kind of quick, doesn't it? I'm Todd Brinker. Aaron will be joining us in just a minute. And so uh, let's get going on stuff. As we left the radio show today, we were talking about the, uh, the planned cyber attack on the Tesla Gigafactory in Nevada. Uh, apparently an employee of the company, referred to in FBI documents as Company A, uh, was offered uh, upwards of a million dollars by a Russian man on a tourist visa to basically put some, some, uh, some software on the computers inside the factory so that they could then break in. And uh, Musk has since tusked... Uh, tus Musk has tusked. No, Musk has tweeted that this is a uh, was a serious uh, attack, and and that the uh, uh, work that the employee did was much appreciated. In that the employee notified the company, who then notified the FBI. They set up a sting, and they actually caught the guy who was trying to do this. Now, you know they need to. They, they, I'm sure they are tracing it back his history to figure out, you know, who he's involved with and whether this was. Um, you know, a rogue person or a rogue group of people or a state-sponsored thing through through Russia. You know, wh where did it come from? Uh, Sierra's joining us here. Are you there? I am here. You're there, laddie. Lassie, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would be female. Yes, yes. All the time. So, um... I was just kind of going through what was going on with the, the attack on Tesla again. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, I'm sure further investigation is going on. They've kind of implied that to find out if this guy, who this guy was working with and for, and whether or not it was, um, you know, a, a rogue group of people who planned to, to try to, you know, swindle money out of Tesla Corporation or whether it was like a government-sponsored uh, vector of attack. And, uh, you know, I mean, for all we know, it could be, you know, based behind a, a company based in Russia that's also trying to build uh, electric cars. And they just wanted to go in and steal as much, um, um, you know, information they can about how Teslas are built so that they could then not have to do their own research. Which is a little bit silly because Tesla has uh, open sourced a lot of their stuff. Um, yeah. Get a know, Tesla and reverse engineer it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. How, how hard is that? A lot cheaper than a million dollars that that you were going to spend trying to to break in, and uh, and and like like the some of the um, auto driving work that they're doing and their battery technology, they have literally open sourced it. It's available on the internet. That was one of the things that Tesla did early on was just say, hey, this is the right direction for us to go as a world in terms of moving vehicles around that the idea of burning, you know, dead dinosaurs is, is outdated and that we need to move on. And the quicker we move on, the better. And so we're going to share what we've learned, um, you know, to, and obviously they, they still, you know, have some, some, um, uh, secrets to how, you know, their, their, their secret sauce as to how they do things that sets a Tesla apart from the competition. But their idea from the very get-go was that, you know, this is something that not just us, but other car manufacturers should be doing and will be doing. And so let's speed that process. Yes. 
I, 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 my guess is the most likely thing in my, from my point of view is that it was an attempted ransomware attack. Probably. Probably ransomware, um, although uh, it's not unheard of for, you know, uh, industrial espionage to say, we're not going to necessarily ransom you. Or we'll cover it. We'll cover our tracks to make it look like it was ransomware. But what we really wanted was just, you know, technical information on your vehicles and batteries and your production process and things like that, so that we can uh, uh, replicate that without having to do any of the real work to get there. Yeah, uh, that's something that the Chinese have done repeatedly uh, with companies in the United States. Is is. Uh, you know, break into their systems to to essentially steal their process because you know you can you can get you can learn a lot by buying item A and disassembling it, but if you actually get the instructions, you know, if you get the instructions, if you get the cookbook, uh, then you don't have to to uh, to um, reverse engineer the bread, right? Yep. And it's so, true. Um, it's it's the lazy way out, and quite frankly, some companies have been so lax in their security that it's also the easy way out, and they you know it's it's completely unethical, but uh, you know that doesn't mean that companies should just leave their front door open and unlocked. So, yeah. you know, and it's it's a difficult thing, you know. I mean, I worked in the tech industry for a lot of years, and you know, putting up the barriers to to keep your system isolated can be hard. Can be hard. Um, well, especially... and, and it's ever changing, right? As as people learn how to how to work around those barriers. Yeah. Uh, well, what worked yesterday may not work tomorrow. Sure. Well, I'll tell you one thing that always works, and this is what the teams that are, that that have to be completely secure are is is they're not connected to the internet. You know, yeah. they're they're in a room that physically is not wired out to the rest of the world with a Faraday cage around it, so no radio signals come in or out, and uh, and. You know, you're just not connected. You're physically not connected. Then, then you only have to worry about people like bringing in and out, you know, USB thumb drives and things like that. And and that's something physical that you can literally scan for as they come in and out. They can walk through metal detectors and, you know, and physical security to make sure that you're not carrying things like that in and out. And some places you're not even allowed to bring your phone. You know, you have to check your phone in outside the room, and and pick it up on your way out. Um, you know, yes. when it's really really are- secure. You know, if you're working in a place with a security clearance, you're not allowed to wear a smartwatch. You have to wear, you know, a watch that just has like a the yeah. old kind of watch, the, yeah. the watch face on it. Yeah, the old timey mechanical watches, or, or I guess you could go wild and crazy and get one of them newfangled um, uh, battery powered watches, but uh, <laughs> so that you don't have to twist. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, actually, you know, it's funny because I wear my Apple Watch most of the time now, but I don't wear it all the time because I still like some watches. I have some um, mechanical watches with automatic um, uh, mechanisms, so so just the movement of my wrist around winds them. And when I'm not wearing them, they literally have to sit in. I mean, so that the springs don't get bad, they sit in a box that spins them every so often, so that they stay uh, sharp and on time. Oh wow! Yeah, which is ridiculous to think that that in this day and age, that's what people are doing. But that's what I'm doing, um, and it's not like I have super expensive watches. I mean, I don't have these five thousand and ten thousand dollar watches or anything. But but I I just have an appreciation for complex mechanical things. The the that sort of um, steampunk ethos that you know prior to to when everything became digital and and, and electronic. 
the yes. there were some really cool mechanical solutions to things like you know a watch that never needs winding and uh, and that keeps good time and that also has built in uh, complications that do things like tell you the date and the day and the uh, and the phases of the moon or something like that. They're just it's pretty cool that, that some of the stuff that they do with you know something that's completely mechanical. There's no batteries, no uh, no electricity involved. Yeah, it's that cool. That is cool. Yeah, yeah. So. It's just and a lot of them have display backs, so you can actually you know take the watch off, flip it over, and you can see the inner workings of the watch because it's got a glass back on it, which is also cool. It's just fun. It's fun. And it's something that, you know, if you're interested in that stuff, you know, for less than $50, you can get a cheap one. And I'm not saying that's a good watch that I would rely on. But but if you're interested in it, I mean, it doesn't cost a lot of money to, you know, an Amazon account and, and, and a few bucks and you can get a, a mechanical watch. And you can get a nice wind-up watch, you know. I mean, Timex still makes some good just wind-up watches. And Seiko makes some great wind-up watches that are less than $50. So... You know, when the nuclear apocalypse happens and there's no electricity, you can tell, you can say, "Hey, it's noon." You know, um, uh, <laughs> as if that was important. <laughs> yes, yes, because that's what you're going to be worried about. No, no, but it's 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 nice jewelry for a man to wear, right? Because men don't generally yeah. wear a lot of jewelry, and so yeah. a, a, a timepiece, whether it's a pocket watch or a wristwatch, mm-hmm. um, can be uh, it can be a nice accessory. Yeah, for for men to wear, and yeah. and for women as well. But women obviously can wear out lots of jewelry, but yeah. um, men generally don't. I I had to very intentionally train myself to get used to having something on my wrist. I I don't like things on my fingers and wrists, and so I don't have I don't wear a lot of rings. I don't wear, I, you know, I don't. And for years, I didn't wear watch because it bothered me all the time. And I, uh, I and for a while, I worked in a place where I, my arms were banging up against stuff, and I was damaging, and I would have damaged and or caught the the watch on a lot of stuff. Um, but it, uh, but I trained myself to start wearing a watch again, just because I liked the concept of watches. And then when the Apple watch came out, it became pretty much an everyday wear. Um, uh, I will admit that I take that off. Like I said, when I want to get dressed up, the Apple watch generally comes off and I put on one of the mechanical watches just because I've got them and I like to wear them every once in a while. Yep. Yeah. Of course, COVID. So you're going out, you don't want your wrist buzzing at you every 30 seconds. Yeah. There's something to be disconnected, you know. There are. Um, that's one thing I have found with COVID. I know that um, uh, a lot of people feel like you know you're sitting in front of your screen all the time, and so you're like attached to the world. I find that I'm actually more detached because I don't feed everything through my computer, and so it's on my phone and my watch. And I have regularly walked off and left the phone in another room um, or, or you know, not worn the watch that day, worn, worn one of my mechanical watches. Um, and so I've actually disconnected a little bit in some ways. Oh, that's cool. Which that's I think good. is probably counter to what most people have experienced, but it's just me. Yeah. You know, there's something to be said. We talked about that, taking a, you know, a Shabbat. Uh, a technology Shabbat once a week, like, you know, take putting all your t- technology away one day a week and mm-hmm. just enjoy your family, cook something, bake something, do something that is, that is, has nothing to do with technology and yeah. it'll bring you peace of mind. You know, I, think... I actually, I had a friend, you know, talking about being connected. I had a mm-hmm. friend who said that, uh, he had, to, he had to walk away from social media and 
watching te watching the news because he was getting so stressed out over everything that's happening right now and right. how people are talking to each other. And uh, yeah, I mean, that take you take a break for your mental health. Yeah. Well, I think honestly, you know, I mean, I was the, the last uh, like Wednesday and Thursday of this week, I was a little sharp on the radio about stuff. And, and I think that's basically what it was. It was just the, the news was, you know, with the NBA and, and with uh, um, the, the gentleman in, in Milwaukee being shot in the back. And it was like, you know, oh, no, not again. And, and, you know, why does this keep happening? And, you know, and then the NBA players shutting down my my outlet it was just you know it was a combination of things that were making me irritated and so it wasn't like outwardly angry or anything it was just like you know i was a little snappy a little, a little, i noticed a little snippy yeah i'm sure our listeners <laughs> noticed as well you know i mean and we all go through our moments right i mean it wasn't like Absolutely. i was cursing Absolutely. the world and and you know raging uh about anything but it was you know you were just you were not uneasy. channeling Alex Jones with his rageaholic kind of approach yeah. to like he growls on the radio show or he used to. I mean, I don't I don't listen to his show, but he used to uh, like be like on the radio. Like, Dude, <laughs> take you know his face is all red. He have a heart attack. Seriously, yeah. stop that. <laughs> I wonder if somebody checked his heart rate at that moment in time if he's really like you know. I remember a story one time um, when it was before one of the uh, one of his fights. Muhammad Ali was at the weigh-in, and he was like like just losing it, yelling and screaming and pointing and and uh, and you know he did his weigh-in and the doctor checked his heart and uh, Angelo Dundee was the the fight doctor for the fight and and. Uh, uh, Dundee like you know steps aside while our Ali's still going at it and and he he uh turns to um I can't remember some some boxing analyst guy and this is the guy who was telling the story and the, and the analyst and he, and he leans over to the analyst and goes vote on Ali or, or bet on Ali and, and 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 the guy goes why he goes he goes his heart rate was 60 <laughs> So, so he was putting this all on as a show, and he was calm and cool as could be. That was all just for the for the news media, and Ali was just working the crowd, and and he was like, "This guy is in fantastic shape, and he is just putting on a show." So he's not worked up or worried at all. He was, the, he was, you know, modeling for professional wrestling, wrestling how to create hype. And, yeah. and energy before a fight. Well, he says that he had actually, you know, picked up all that or saw that from watching wrestling when he was a kid as well, you know. So, um, you know, the, the you know, hokey wrestling of the 50s was what he as a kid had seen and uh, and used that as, um, I can't remember the name of the wrestler. It was like, um, there was a blonde guy had long blonde hair you know that he I, that was famous and i remember hearing him talk about it one time and he said yeah that was the way to get people you know worked up and excited sell tickets and so uh you know that was his goal and he was certainly good at it apparently of course you have to be good at the actual doing whatever it is you're doing as well when you get people worked up some at some point they're just going to give you a big yawn if you don't then actually produce right so well Ali definitely produced he definitely did definitely did I just wish he hadn't kept fighting quite so long he clearly went beyond what was safe for him to do and he claimed that it had nothing to do with his Parkinson's but I'm not convinced of that um, by the way have you heard that that Mike Tyson is putting together like a a um, 
Heroes League of people, and he is going to fight. He's like 50-something. Seriously? Uh, he, he is in really good shape. I mean, I, but yeah, um, they've set up the fight. Um, Roy Jones Jr., who's also a retired boxer, is going to, they're going to have an exhibition, eight-round exhibition fight uh, in uh, Las Vegas in September, October, something like that. Hmm. Well, uh, would you buy tickets to that? Would you go uh, see that? No. <laughs> no. Um, and, and and here's the thing. And I like boxing. It's it's one of those things where I recognize. You know, I I've talked about feeling some guilt about watching football because you're watching people, you know, damage themselves. Well, boxing, they're certainly damaging themselves. That's the whole point. Is they're setting out to hurt the other guy. Um, you know, there's there's no premise of like playing a game. In boxing, you are trying to hurt the other guy, um, knock him on his butt. That's the whole name of the game, right? And um, it's—I I understand that boxing is even worse than 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 football, but it's sort of that that thing that I enjoy knowing that it's it's terrible, it's terrible, you know. I I, I can't watch it, Todd. I can't. I can't watch people uh, fully beating under- the heck out of each other. Fully understand that. I, I totally, the, the logical mind in me says this is horror, you know. And, and I have absolutely no interest in, in watching the um, the mixed martial arts fights. That to me has no interest. But boxing, I just, I, there's something, there's a mystique about it. There's there's a history to it that just, I, I find a lot of intrigue. That said, I wouldn't go watch, you know, 50-plus-year-old men get into a ring and, and try to thump on each other. Um, you know, his uh, Tyson's point is is that, you know, he and Roy Jones Jr. and some of these, um, you know, big names, he says, we're a bigger draw than, than the current heavyweight champions. Our names are bigger. You know, why shouldn't we go, you know, put on an exhibition and make some money from this if it's what we enjoy doing? Um, you know, his his thing is like, you know, there's, you know, Michael Jordan still sells more shoes than than most um, active basketball players. You know, if he decided to come out and do a an exhibition, you know, half court one on one games against people who are also retired, uh, would you pay to watch that? And some people probably would, you know, I don't know that I would, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, the um, ice ice cube uh, got behind a uh, uh, three-on-three basketball league and they you know obviously covid has them out of commission because the nba is continuing on but when the nba shut down every year they would start up their three-on-three league and play through the summer and um, i watched some of those games it was half court three-on-three with mostly retired um, former nba players and it was actually pretty entertaining i enjoyed watching that so you know well, yeah. I mean, if they're all in good shape, you're watching, you're watching people play. So, yeah, you know, they're guys they know, that are know what they're doing. Yeah, you know, they still have skills, but they're maybe not as quick and don't have the endurance that they used to have. So they kind of created a, a half court game where they didn't have to run the full court, and you could still watch some of your heroes go play the game. It was, it was interesting. I will say I enjoyed watching it, but I'll also say that I did not watch it regularly and did not like have favorite teams or players like I did with like I do with the NBA. So I wasn't. It didn't have a stickiness to it to me, you know? It was a nice novelty, and that was about it? Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, if he keeps it going when COVID passes or, you know, and we get back to some sense of 
normality if the big three, I think that's what the name of the league is called, the big three, um, picks up and goes again, you know, I'll, I'll give it another try, pay some attention to it, you know. Uh, just it, to me, it was sort of like arena football. It was like, okay, well, lacking anything else, or if it's you know something to do uh, once in a while, you know. Tobin and I went down with uh, you know former fraternity brother who had season tickets and invited us down to a, a L.A. Kiss game a couple times, and so we went down and watched them play, and that was fun. But it wasn't something I was going to do on a regular basis. You know, it wasn't that so intrigued that I wanted to wanted to be there. Yeah. You know. Well, I didn't feel like I was missing anything by not being there. You know, and honestly, I think that's kind of the measure of of a lot of sports. You know, do you feel like you're missing out if you're not paying attention to it? You know, is it, do you care enough that that it's it's like, oh shoot, I missed it? You know, um, I mean, I'm the kind of guy who who uh, I enjoy like watching the Lakers. I'm a Laker fan, and I enjoy watching the Lakers to the to the extent that during normal times, I would record Laker games and intentionally not pay attention to the game while I was coaching. I wouldn't have it like. You know, I wouldn't be checking scores ring, so I could go home and watch the game. Or um, uh, this last season, I actually paid, I think, ten bucks it was, so that I could get a, an audio feed streaming on my phone, and then I would put one earplug in and I could listen to the game while I was coaching, um, and and so I knew what was happening. But then I'd still come home and watch it because I could then see it. Huh. And so you know that there's there's that stickiness for me. You know, it's like for you wanting to go back and watch some more Grey's Anatomy, right? There's stickiness <laughs> there. You know the characters, you know the storylines, you want to go see it. If you if you exactly. miss it, then you then you feel like you've missed something because oh yeah. wait a minute, I didn't watch the you didn't know watch my show. Right. I didn't watch my stories. Right. And that's Grey's Anatomy kind of... is a soap opera, let's be honest. <laughs> oh it is, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh yeah, it's primetime soap. I don't think anybody even tries to hide that fact, do they? I mean, no, no, and I love it. I love it. I love it. I just, you know, I don't know what yeah. to say except that I love it. Yeah, and <laughs> and you are not alone. That's why it's been on the air for a bajillion years. I mean, it's it's obviously there's a stickiness to it. There's a yes. you know, and as characters come and go, they've managed to maintain that, right? Which they is, have. Which they is not easy to do. Job. Not no, easy to do. Not. Shows tend um, to weaken when you pull out a lot of the initial characters. But they've always had a pretty good turnover with Grey's Anatomy, haven't they? They have. Just like any workplace, you know, people come and go. Right. I think that if Ellen Pompeo decided that she didn't want to do it anymore, then the show would end. Oh, yeah. In fact, haven't they said as much? She and the um, the producer. Shonda Rhimes. Corrector. Yeah. I think, yeah, she said, Shonda Rhimes has said, you know, I'll do it as long as she wants to do it. But when she says she's done, we're done. Yeah. Because, you know, she's the Grey in the Grey's Anatomy. Right. You know, but they've they've done a great job bringing in interesting characters, bringing in characters that you love to hate. I mean, yeah. it is it is it is you know my telenovela. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very much what it is. Did you ever see the movie called Grey's Anatomy, which is not related in any way, shape, or form? No, I actually like that movie. You might want to check it, that out sometime. Is that a medical drama? It's a, um, it's a drama comedy. Um, I don't know, sort of romance, romantic comedy drama. I don't know how to explain it. When did it come out? Uh, probably 80 something. Um, oh. So it wasn't recent. I'm not no. that it matters, but. Not that it matters. Yeah, and, and if you search, obviously, you find the, the TV show these days. So you have to do, you have to spe- specify that you want to see the Grey's Anatomy movie 
Um, is it spelled the same way? Is it G R A Y? It's 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 based on the uh, it's G R A Y because it's it's named after the oh that's not right. No, that's Spalding Gray. Gray's Anatomy. Gray's Anatomy disambiguation. Let me go see. Nineteen ninety six. No, that's not it. That's the Spalding Gray thing. That's not it. Um. Grey's Anatomy television series. Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy. Um, uh, yeah, so on Grey's Anatomy, they have a disambiguation for the word gray. Like, that's helpful. <laughs> um, it's named after the, the actual uh, anatomy book, and they spell it with the E-Y, I believe, right? Um, I, I don't remember. E-Y is, is the show, Grey. Like, like um, uh, right. Meredith Grey is G-R-E-E-Y. Um, Gray's Anatomy. I don't know. I may assume that it was probably EY because it was English, right? I don't. Where was it? Or was it created in the United States? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's. I'm having trouble even finding any information on the movie because it's completely overwhelmed by 16 years of Ellen Pompeo. Ha. <laughs> uh. <sighs> So there is a 1996 movie, but you say that's different. That's not it. Yeah, that's that's not the, uh, not the one. So, hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I'll find it and we'll talk about it at some point when it shows up. Maybe it's called something different, Todd. It's very possible that I am I am mixing up. But I'm pretty sure it was called Great. Grey's Anatomy, but uh... <laughs> well, I'm sure our listeners are like. I, there's some of us are probably going. It was, you know, from so and so. It was, you know, the name is this and that. And yeah, like, I yeah. saw that movie, and or they're like, okay, move on, because I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it, if you're listening to this after the fact, then it won't do us any good. But if you're listening during the fact, yeah, click the link on the live feed, and you can, uh, you can in the chat, you can go in and tell me what it is. Uh, there's nobody in the chat right now, but somebody could get in the chat and tell me, come on. Um, yeah. Wow. That's so, don't you hate it when you can't remember something that you're Yeah, like, or right can't there. find the information that's exactly right. I'm looking at the, um, the, uh, Grey's Anatomy TV show Wikipedia page, and they've got a chart showing all of the people in the 17 years who's been on the show and stuff like uh, you know, uh, Justin Chambers playing Alex Carab was there up until season 17. Yes. One through 16, he was there, but he just dropped out. But I Chandra was... Wilson and James Pickens are, have been there the entire time. The entire time, along yes. Along with Ellen. So, see, they've kept a, a core of people, a cadre. Yes, I was very sad when um, Alex Karev, what the way they, they had him leave his wife, and it was like, oh, my gosh. And it was leading up to that for a while, and she had she had been pretty difficult to deal with. But when he finally left and went back to his first wife, it was like, oh, my God, Alex, what are you doing? So. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, so it's yes. like I first became aware of who um, uh, uh, Catherine Heigl was from that show. Yes. And I, and I never really watched the show, but my wife would have it on occasionally. And so... Uh, and she was on, I guess, for the first six seasons. And yes. I love, love, love Sandra O oh in just about everything she does. And she was on for ten years. So, yes. Yeah, and she was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why she's gotten lots of other work because she's really good. She is really good. Yeah. And I loved her character. 
I loved her character, um, uh, Christina uh, Yang. I just she was mm-hmm. just phenomenal, and she was Meredith's person, her best friend. Yeah. And you know, there were times where she was just awful, and there were times that I mean, all the characters. And I guess that's part of the reason that you that I love it is that the characters are well rounded. Like you take. Um, Dr. Bailey, who is Chandra Wilson. Is that her name? Chandra Wilson? Uh-huh. Um, um, there are times where I'm yelling at her. I'm like, I, you're making me so mad. And there are times where I love her. You know, so these, these characters are complex, right? They, they're, they're, they're like any person. And so you mm-hmm. feel like you know them. And if I ever saw her, I would feel like I know her, which is irrational because she's an actor. But, you know, I feel like I know her. That's yeah. part of the draw. Yeah, well, and and I mean that's that's the that's what makes good storytelling, right? Makes good. Yes. Uh, yes. Makes for yeah. good entertainment of all kinds. So. Yeah, and Shonda Rhimes can tell a story. Gross anatomy. Gross anatomy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very good. Matthew Modine, Daphne Zuniga, Christine Lady, Touchstones Pictures, 1989. Ah, gross anatomy. That sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. I like Matthew Modine. He kind of fell off the face of the map. Kind of like, did, he kinda, didn't he? Did I wonder yeah. if he just, you know, got old and didn't have the Hollywood look, or maybe he just said, you know, I'm, I've made my money. I don't need to work very hard anymore. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna what go he's, play with my kids. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, is that, the, that isn't that the, that isn't that's like he's retiring to spend more time with his family, and you, so you never know is he really retiring to spend time with his family, or did they just fire him and didn't want to tell you why? Yeah, has you he know? been blackballed? Yeah, um, I show you know if you look at his like uh, list of stuff, he's been, he's been working regularly. He's just not like the the uh, star anymore. He's not the the leading man kind. But uh, he was in 47 Meters Down, uh, Sicario Day of the Soldado, which uh, was a fairly popular movie. Um, and that was 2018, 2017, 2018. Um, he's in one, two, three, four different things that came out on t- in 2020 already. And he's got several things in the, in the, in the can that will be coming out. One called Wrong Turn, My Love Affair with Marriage, and uh, The Rocking Horse Man, Men. Oh, so he's been working, working. In fact, literally every year he's got like four or five different things that he has done. So, um, and in some of this stuff, he's also director and, and producer and writer. So he's doing behind the scenes stuff as well. So, which which is not unusual. There's a lot of actors that kind of start migrating towards that, and later in life they'll just take small roles because they're really spending more time behind the scenes, behind the camera, which is right. where they like being. You know, because you have more well, creative control there. Yeah, that's where the real creativity comes. I mean, when you're an actor, you certainly can can d- decide some some physical characteristics of your of your character and kind of how they how they move and how they interact and all of that. You mm-hmm. can decide some of that. The director probably decides most. And right. So, and you're reading somebody else's lines. So if you want the real, if you're the real creative type, that's all behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, I, it, it's not at all surprising that a lot of actors sort of migrate to doing that kind of work not all of them some some just say nope this is what i do i do it well this is where i'm gonna stay but there's quite a few of them that that say hey you know i want to go into semi-retirement in front of the screen you know or they'll take little bit parts and roles and stuff um 
you know, and sometimes they're really good actors. And so those little bit parts can sometimes define a movie or define a scene. Um, you know, yes, um, there's a movie. Hey. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say a movie, a really cute movie called um, Keeping the Faith. And it's Ben Stiller, Edward Norton, and Jenna Elfman. And Ben Stiller plays a rabbi, and Edward Norton plays a uh, Catholic priest. And the two of them grew up together, and they both go into faith, right? And then their childhood friend, Jenna Elfman, comes back to town. And the Catholic priest thinks that maybe he should give up being a priest because he thinks he's falling in love with her. Meanwhile, he's not aware that she has started dating his Jewish friend who is allowed to date and get married because there's different rules for Jewish rabbis than there are for, but it poses a problem for the Jewish rabbi as well, because Jenna Elfman is very much not a Jewish woman. Uh, and so it's, it's just cute comedy, romance comedy. That's very cute. But the point I was making with that is Eli Wallach and Anne Bancroft are in this and Anne Bancroft plays uh, Ben Stiller's mother. She's amazing. And then Eli Wallach um, did a lot of directing and stuff. And he plays like one uh, little scene. Oh, he's not the one I was even thinking of. Uh, Eli Wallach plays a member of the... Milos Forman is the one I was thinking of. Milos Forman is is a director for the most part. And he plays one scene where he's like an older priest that that um, Edward Norton's character talks with. And he's in... You know, I mean, he's... They probably filmed it all in a day or two. Uh, but he was great. And Milos Forman had acted but when he was younger, but he's basically known as a, as a director. Oh, yeah. Oh. So, yeah. So, um, by this is directed by Edward Norton, by the way, also who who is another one of those guys who starts out as an actor but does a lot of directing as well and and is very good at it. If you've so not seen Edward Norton, when movies. was the movie? When did the movie come out? The um, keeping and what the was faith the name again. It's keeping called keeping keeping the faith, and it was two thousand. Ah, uh, okay, okay, because um, Anne Bancroft. Uh, she was phenomenal. Um, I, yeah. And I recently, like in the last 10 years, learned that, um, so I guess that's recently, um, learned that she was married to Mel Brooks. I didn't yeah, know that. for many years. Yes. Yeah, they married in 1964, and she passed away in 2005. Yeah. I, yeah, she's one of those people who, who in just about anything she's in, it's worth watching because she was just really, really good. Uh and what she did. She was one of the method actors coming as she studied under Lee Strasberg, which oh. I, I, you know, whatever floats your boat, whatever works for you. But I always liked the, um, I, I don't remember which one. There was an English actor who was working with Dustin Hoffman in a movie somewhere. And Dustin Hoffman was like, you know, trying to get in character. And, and he was like, needed his voice to be raspy. So he was shouting to make his voice sore. And, and the English guy looked at him and said, my God, man, why don't you just act? you're an actor act um you know why are you putting yourself through this the you know the whole method technique of of completely submersing yourself into a character has its downsides well, um, danny uh, to, to daniel day lewis is a method actor and mm-hmm. he, apparently when he was doing uh what is it the streets of new york or something of new york and um, mm-hmm. um that he was completely in his character he's phenomenal yeah um um, and a little scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, it works for some of these people, you know, and, and, you know, if that's what worked for them, fine. That's their process, however it works. But yeah, it, it's, it, you've got to think it's a little self-destructive when you're playing certain characters that, that yes. to try to, to, you know, dig Apparently. into the evil within yourself to create this, this yes. character. 
apparently um, uh, Jim Carrey did the same thing when he was playing Andy Kaufman. Um, yeah. And that he was always in character. And yeah. that would be just unnerving, right? You're sitting around the craft table and you're eating with your, your um, uh, uh, colleagues and, uh, you know, you're still, this guy is still in character. It's like, no, you're not Andy. You're Jim. Yeah. They, they made people call him Andy after that. In fact, there's a documentary about that whole process where he came out of it saying that it changed him and it was, it was, it was very uncomfortable for him. Um, that in retrospect, that was a a very very difficult role for him to play because he because of the way he approached it. Yeah, that wow. was it was interesting. He's a, he's an interesting guy anyway, and I think that a lot of what gets printed about him makes him seem like a bit of a loon. But um, uh, you know, if you see him in conversations, he had there was a really good um, uh, comedians in cars getting coffee where he and Jerry Seinfeld sat. And, talked and uh, he's a very interesting guy a little yeah. nuts so um, possibly possibly you know I, I yeah it's hard to say um, you know I don't really know the man you know we, we feel like we know people when we watch them on television right you no, know we don't. And, and and we certainly you know we get these little glimpses and, and snippets but we've seen how accurate the news can be uh, and I yeah. say that completely sarcastically um so yeah, I'm hesitant to to be too judgy there, but uh, but yeah, I mean when he's in a situation where he's unscripted and he's just talking to somebody, you hear his his perspective on things, and he sounds a little hippy dippy, you know. Still yes. a real interesting guy. So um, apparently TikTok um, is might have a, a new buyer. Uh, their operations might soon belong to Microsoft and Walmart. <laughs> have you heard about this? The no. The companies have teamed up to bid on the highly popular short-form video app. The draw That's for funny. Walmart, it wants to boost its fledgling online ad business. As you were saying and, that, I was in my mind thinking, what would be the other company that would partner with with uh, with Microsoft? And never in a million years did I expect you to say Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So they're trying to, and they're going after this younger demographic. And before Thursday's announcement coming on the heels of TikTok CEO Kevin Mayer's resignation, um, Microsoft had been considered the front runner in talks to buy TikTok's business in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Um, and so, you know, we'll see what happens. Crazy, right? Yeah. Huh. So they want to take on Amazon because Amazon is has become this behemoth. Right. And, and you know, Walmart is not a technology company, and Microsoft is not a, that's, uh, a retailer. That's not completely accurate. Walmart has some of the highest uh, front-end technology for inventory management of any company in the world, and they still outsell Amazon by a large margin because of their on-ground stores. Amazon dominates online sales, but online sales are still smaller than uh, on-ground sales. So um, I, I have to say, and I said that because of my personal experience, I hate right. Walmart's website. I hate it. Yeah. It is. I have had more issues on Walmart's website, and I finally I say forget it, and then I go to Amazon. Yeah, I, I have tried to buy things, and I, I have successfully bought things from Amazon, but it's it's a bit of a chore compared to the way Amazon just has streamlined the whole thing to make it they're, they're run very smoothly. They totally get how to make that experience work for people and Walmart 
it's still kind of hit and miss, you know. Um, and I'm Amazon with, has gotten you. into the space of, of you know, providing database um, solutions to companies. Have you know they do a lot. They are really a technology company in the, in a way yeah. that Walmart is not. Oh yeah, they're, they're no doubt about it. I mean, their A3 storage system is the platform behind uh, lots and lots of web pages. I mean, big web pages. Companies like um, uh, Apple have used. Uh, Amazon's storage solutions for stuff. Um, now, Apple has built a lot of data centers, so they've moved a lot of things to their own data centers. But, um, but at one point, they were you know you wouldn't have known it. You were logging into an Apple website, but on the behind the scenes, a lot of that stuff was being stored and managed on Amazon servers. And yeah. they, uh, yeah, they they their fingers are in a lot of different a lot of different places, a lot of long tendrils there. Um, their stated goal was to be part of every online transaction in some way. So they do finance, you know, m- 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 money processing. They do database storage. They do, um, you know, lots and lots of different things so that anything that's happening on the Internet, they want to have their fingers in. Um, and, and so they consider that a, a business direction that they want to explore. Well, they're sure he- they're screaming towards in that direction. They definitely are. And there's nothing to say that, you know, that the trend won't continue and that, you know, online or online will, will depose, uh, on ground purchases, uh, you know, at some point, but, um, uh, for now in today's world, more people still, you know, go to the store to buy stuff, whether it be grocery stores or Walmart or, or whatever, than buy things online. Um, you know, but Walmart sees the writing on the wall too, right? That's why they're trying to. Yes. I I just don't see TikTok as the obvious buy for them. That seems weird. But it, to me, it's 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 genius because they're trying to get people tend to be loyal to companies that they're used to doing business with, right? Mm-hmm. And so if they're they're trying to get that younger demographic, and if you're like fourteen to twenty, you're yeah. on TikTok or twenty two, you're on Twi- on TikTok, yeah. and so they are they are trying to capture that market. Um, and develop them as customers. I think it's genius. Yeah, I guess it makes sense in that in that direction. And you know, Walmart has their aficionados too. I lived in a town in Pittsburgh when a Walmart opened, and there were people. I mean, I remember our neighbors uh, talking about like, "Oh, yeah, I I can't wait for you know." I and after it opened, I'm going down to Walmart. You want to come with me? It's good. It's a Walmart day. We're going to go down and you know, cruise the <laughs> store. And I mean, they loved <laughs> Walmart. Like- they were, What's you know, the big deal? Yeah, before they bought the before they brought the Walmart there, they would drive to another Walmart in a different suburb of Pittsburgh to go to Walmart. Now there's one close. They had their own Walmart. Um, it was a, you know, yeah, that's where they went. It was a big deal for them to go down to Walmart. And I looked at it and went, it's eh. like a, it's a five and dime. Why would you want? To, you know, <laughs> why are you getting enthused about going there? That's where you go when you have to get something and you have to fight the crowd. You have to do. It's not something you do out of joy, um, but for them it was. <laughs> oh God, yeah, that's pretty much pretty much the last place in the world that I want to shop is a Walmart. Yeah, it's kind of how I feel too. And yet, I like I said, they, they, not you know these were not stupid, you know, poor people who who couldn't had no options and stuff. They that that was by design by choice. They wanted to go to Walmart. They could have shopped anywhere in town. Well, and I know so, in a lot of a lot of how Walmart got their start in a lot of the small towns, they were that was the only store. Yeah, right. Or and well, it was, became the only store when they came in and put all the other stores out of business. Well, that's true. 
you know, because yeah, they would true. come in and, and, and have much lower prices. And, in fact, they have been accused of and had to pay fines for doing exactly that. And then once all the other competition was gone, then bringing the prices back up. So they were artificially lowering prices to put other people out of business. And then when everybody was gone, when the competition was gone, then they would bring the prices back up to, you know, to, to where they were. And so that, that was clearly illegal um, behavior. They can do that with small mom and pop shops and mom and pop grocery stores and, and uh, uh, things like that. It's harder to do when you've got like a Target uh, in town. Obviously, Kmart's not around anymore, but, uh, uh, you know, Target is a positions himself as sort of an upscale competitor, right? So it's, yes. it's, yeah, the are a little nicer. Although I, I understand that Walmart's getting better about their, their, uh, clothing. Yeah. You know, so that they're, they're nicer than they used to be. Cause it used to be Walmart clothing was just junk. Really? Well, and, my, my perception is not that there's that much of a difference between the quality of anything you buy at Target versus Walmart, but there is a difference in the quality of the experience that Target is just, uh, nicer, more nicely appointed stores is the sense that I get personally. But then I'm not usually buying, um, like I don't buy very many clothes there. I say that I've bought, you know, I bought jeans and stuff and and some t-shirts, but, uh, but I don't tend to buy a whole lot of clothes there. So I'm usually shopping for other items, other goods. And, you know, the difference between this bottle of 409 and that bottle of 409 is not. No. Significant. Well, and I don't buy clothes there either. If I need yeah. to get like a novelty sweater, uh-huh. um, Walmart's a great place to get a novelty sweater. So they'll yeah. sell the ugly sweaters for during Christmas, or they'll right. sell the you know the Halloween sweater or whatever. Um, I don't buy a lot of those, but mm-hmm. if I need one, that's where I go because I know I can get one there. Yeah, and I've done the same. I've done the same. Target had some. Um, um, let's see. Last time I was in a Target, I was in the Sacramento area. And uh, I was able to get, they had a, a rack in the front, of course, because that's where you put things you want people to see, of um, <laughs> of cloth masks, right, during COVID. Oh, yeah. um, and they was the first place I'd seen that had uh, a small, medium-sized one and then a large, extra-large size one. And I was able to get large, extra-large ones that actually fit because too many masks don't cover my nose and my chin. So I'm wearing it sort of on my bottom lip, and, and if I try to speak at all, then my mouth pops out. Or if I hold it down, then my nose pops out, because I, I guess I just have a big face. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, these are all made in, in Asia by, by small Asian women, and so I guess it fits them just fine, but doesn't fit my big fat mug. And so um, I was thrilled to get something that was an extra large mask that actually fit my face, so I bought several packages of those. They're like, woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, I've bought like specialty T-shirts or stuff. Target had a um, had a like a, a series for a while where you could get like um, old band T-shirts. They were they were made to look old. They were look they looked distressed, so you could get like a you know a Rolling Stones T-shirt that was designed a copy of a design circa sometime in the '60s or '70s, and and the print on the on the shirt looked kind of faded and and cracked. And so you could get, and some of those were kind of cool. Um, and so I think I had a, a shirt or two from that collection. Oh, um, that is cool. And we are over time. Oh, we are by quite a bit. You got to get to work. So I'm thanks here. for joining us. Thanks for joining us. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a Have great a day. Great 